Welcome to Meet, Act, and Part. A Masonic podcast hosted by Midnight Freemasons Greg Knott, Darren Larners, Todd Creason, and Bill Hosler. The views, opinions and experiences that are expressed by the hosts or guests as individual Freemasons do not reflect the official position of any Grand Lodge, appendant body, or Masonic authority to which the hosts or guests belong. And now on with the show. Episode 52 of Meet, Act, and Part. Uh, we've got a special guest tonight, but before we get there, let us introduce ourselves, your fabulous co-hosts. I'm number one, Greg Knott. And I guess I'm number two, Bill Hoffler. And I'm Darren Laners. So our very special guest tonight is Monty Glover, and uh, Monty uh, is joining us, and he's. we're going to talk about the Cryptic Council tonight. We haven't done any shows really on the Cryptic Council at all, and I think this should be uh, an interesting show to learn about really the, the middle body, so to speak, of the York Rite, but that does not mean to minimize it at all because it's a very equal, important part of the uh, York Rite. So, Monty, if you don't mind, introduce yourself and give us a little bit about your uh, Masonic background. Sure. Um, I'm Monty Glover. I... Uh... I'm currently serving as the most puissant General Grand Master of the General Grand Council of Christic Masons International. I'm uh, towards the end of my term. Uh, I get over in August of uh, 2023. Uh, I'm a past Grand Master of Hawaii, uh, past Grand High Priest, past Grand Illustrious Master, past Grand Commander, past Sovereign of the Red Cross of Constantine. I'm, I've got a lot of pasts up there. Most of my Masonic career was uh, in Hawaii. I lived there 34 years, and uh, I currently live in Georgia, just south of Atlanta, to make it easier to do this job. Great. So I'm I'm a member of uh, Urbana Council Number 19. We're located in uh, near Champaign, Illinois, where the University of Illinois is home to. And I went through my degrees very well. Do you? Great. Yeah. So I'm, I, I grew up in Ludlow, in case you don't know. Oh, well, my gosh, you're a local guy then. I don't have to explain anything. What a small world. So uh, for our listeners, Ludlow is another small town in East Central Illinois. And uh, so we're practically neighbors then indirectly. So, well, you're familiar. The cryptic degrees are beautiful. There's just uh, without question. And there, there's three of them, the Royal Master Degree, the Select Master Degree, and the Super Excellent Master, which is performed I know less often, but I, I have seen it a couple of times. What what got your interest sparked in, in cryptic masonry? Well, when I saw the, the degrees for the first time, it it kind of tied together the story between the Blue Lodge degree work and the Royal Arch degree work. Uh, as you know, the uh, cryptic degrees kind of span that time right before the Hiramic legend takes place and right after. And uh, so it, it, it kind of fills in the blanks with a lot of the the, uh, the storyline uh, between the third degree and the Royal Arch degree. And I found that very interesting, particularly with the conversation uh, between uh, Hiram and Adoniram. And it just, it, it resonated with me. 
So how did you end up in leadership at the, really the international level? How, what, what was your journey to, to the position you hold now? I blinked, I think. <laughs> did you show uh, up at a meeting and next thing you knew you were in charge? Yeah, I was actually, uh, it, it actually kind of went that way. I was, I was <laughs> actually at my lodge, uh, attending a, a lecture by, uh, Bob, da- uh, Bob Davis. And, uh, my phone rang in the middle of the, the thing. So I stepped out and it was, uh, uh, most pleasant, uh, Larry Weaver. And, uh, he said, uh, Monty, there's an opening at the bottom of the, uh, General Grand elected line for principal conductor of the work. Would you like to fill it? And it's like, can I have a couple of days to talk about it with my wife and make a decision? He says, yeah, but make it quick. So yeah, the long and short of it is I said yes. And I was actually appointed to the bottom of the elected line. And, uh, the membership was uh, gracious enough to, uh, later on elect me in as a deputy general grandmaster and ultimately grandmaster. How many years have you been in the line to get to the top of it? Uh, eight, but it's a nine-year line. So I, okay. I missed out on the first year. You know, back when I was um, still in the uh, illustrious master, was the only thing on my local uh, York rights that I didn't go through. I was Otherwise, I would have been qualified for the KYCH. But I, that was the one I always loved, the crypt, you know, the council guys, because they were always so much fun to hang around. We had such a blast. What is it like to be an international officer? I, you know, because you know, some of us, we very rarely, any of us, you know, maybe Greg, but the rest of us will rarely ever know what it's like to be a grand officer, and let alone an international grand officer. What do you do? What does your job entail? And tell me just kind of what you have to do for your office. Is this a family show? <laughs> yes. Manson family, yes, but. <laughs> no. It's a great, it's a great job, but it, it also comes with its share of headaches. Uh, being international, we, what we do is we promote the American York rate system and the, the cryptic councils are, are somewhat unique in the world where there's, there's not a whole lot of competition in terms of bodies and, and none of them are exactly the same as, as what we have in the American York rate system. I guess the American masonry in general has a a pretty good reputation, I think, overall around the world. And so we have a lot of foreign jurisdictions that come to us and they want to have the American York rate set up in their countries. Uh, Obviously, the uh, chapter needs to go in first because we require a Royal Arch membership as a prerequisite for joining the cryptic councils. So. That's pretty straightforward, but oftentimes what happens is when they form their councils uh, or any of the York Rite bodies for that matter, and they um, start to operate and they get their grand bodies and stuff, what tends to happen is they have a very different mindset from the typical American uh, uh, system of of, uh, governing ourselves. Uh, They're... Uh, heavily influenced, I believe, by the Scottish Rite system because it's much more prevalent uh, outside the U.S. And they tend to want to to try to 
force the York Rite into a Scottish Rite model. The difference being is Scottish Rite has three groups within the Scottish Rite umbrella, but but with York Rite, you know, they are three separate organizations. They have separate leadership. Uh, they're separate corporations. They all run independently, but we work cooperatively together to form this York Rite. And so many of the challenges that we have is is to try to keep keep the foreign jurisdictions on track with following the american the the principles and the ideals of the american york right system and that you know you shouldn't have people in office for life and they you know some some of the uh, groups have difficulty understanding a lot of the things that we take for granted on how elections should be run and how they choose their their leaders and that sort of stuff. So it's an education process and it takes time to to go through it. Uh, You do stay jet lagged a lot. And I think the the hardest part for me of doing the job is to trying to coordinate my travel while working full time. Uh, I have to do all of this travel within my bounds of my uh, vacation time at work. Uh, and still do my work job as well. And trying to make sure that people aren't upset that you haven't come and visited them in a year or two or three. And, you know, that's always because I, I never want to to offend or upset anybody. And if I can't go, it's because I just I can't get away. But we try to spread our officers out so that everybody gets attention. But sometimes, you know, there's there's gaps that happen. So I can imagine your frequent flyer miles is pretty hefty right now it it has i i did manage to i just crossed the diamond threshold for delta so (laughs) hopefully uh next year i'll make for a little nicer travel so the downside to that is i live in atlanta area and so flying out on delta in atlanta you're you're competing with you know fortune 500 company executives and stuff for upgrades so yeah i don't have that kind of status yeah i can imagine i'd be like Around here, <laughs> yeah. but you know, you, you you mentioned that what I'm experiencing is, is something that you know the the regular everyday York Ray Mason may not, never experience, and, and I get that. But you know, it is something that's attainable. Uh, it shouldn't be something that you chase. They hunted me down for this position, but I, one of the things about masonry that I firmly believe is that it's it's not about the positions. It's not about uh, chasing the, the aprons and that sort of stuff. The real secret to masonry is working in the quarries and the experiences that you you get while working in those quarries side by side with your brothers. That's where... Uh, it all comes together. And when people see you working hard and you're not looking for recognition, you're not looking for accolades, but you're just truly enjoying the craft, that's when they start knocking on your door. And, and once they start knocking, it, it's hard to get them to stop. And that's when you have to figure out, okay, what can you actually manage to do? And sometimes it's hard choices. I can just about imagine. Since, you know, you mentioned working in the quarry with other brothers, how much do you work with, like, the general grand high priest and the grand master of Knights Templar? I'm guessing you guys have a pretty decent working relationship amongst you. The uh, grand master of the Grand Encampment, uh, uh, I'm pretty close with. Uh, spoke to him on the phone 
shortly before this. And we communicate quite well. We, uh, we're sensitive about each other's various travel schedules. So sometimes it's, it's hard to connect without waking them up at a weird time. But, uh, uh, David Cussman uh, and I uh, get along quite well. Uh, Steve Tyner and I, it's a little harder for us. Uh, we have difficulties reaching each other oftentimes. And we've had some challenges uh, between our two bodies. Um, and, you know, we're trying to, to build that relationship up. And we just recently, uh, we could sit down and talk through some things. And we signed a, a document of basically an agreement of understanding on how we would work with each other uh, as organizations and uh, try to make sure that the decisions that we make as leaders do not impact negatively. Uh, the operations of the other bodies. Well, that's great that everyone's starting to try to work together. I know in my Grand York right of Indiana, they had some problems here a few years ago, and I don't know if they ever actually got you know, got past them and started working together again. But it is a shame because we're all working for the same thing, and we're all supposed to be brethren and it just, or companions. And it really does. It's too bad, but I guess that's just the way it goes with any organization that human beings are a part of yeah and you know we have we have very different personalities and i mean you, you experience it in blue lodge where you know you'll just get two people that just don't get along and sometimes we let our personality differences override our our masonic better better thoughts and uh we we lose sight of that uh who can best work and best degree. And so, yeah, it is a challenge and it's something, I mean, we're all human. You know, you get a, a particularly if you get a, a room full of alpha dogs in, in the same place and everybody wants to vie for position, that, that can get kind of crazy. But yeah, if you go back to the, the lessons we learned in the beginning, then, you know, it all works out. So, but everybody I work with, even the people I disagree with, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for uh, for all of them. The challenges that we face in the York Rite is, you know, we have, again, these three separate bodies uh, that all have three separate business structures. And as, as elected leadership of these bodies, we have to keep, you know, our positions or our constituents members first and foremost in our, our thoughts. And so sometimes we have to work through some of those issues. Uh, other challenges with General Grand Council, though, too, and, and this also goes for General Grand Chapter, uh, is that we're basically a co-op, a, a confederation, where the general, uh, the Grand Councils uh, that belong to General Grand are there by choice. Uh, they are not required to retain membership in General Grand. Unlike Grand Encampment, where Grand Encampment, all Grand Commanders are subordinate to uh, the, the Grand Encampment. Uh, so it makes our jobs a little more difficult in that we don't have as much power to come out and say, you will do this or you will do that. Uh, we have to rely upon being able to convince people that this is a particular you know, way to do things. And uh, it's up to them. And Early on, when I was going through the line, we had a jurisdiction that was ready to withdraw from General Grant. And I asked them, you know, 
uh, why is it that you want to pull out a general grant? And they said, well, you're not helping us. You know, you're not giving us the, the bang for the buck that we give you. And I says, well, what is it that you want? He's like, I was like, okay. Um, so if we generate this wonderful membership program and we give it to you, are you going to follow it? It's like, no, we're going to do our own thing. It's like, well, there you go. It's like your membership problem is your problem. And it, just the way is this other state or that state. Uh, and they're all unique. And there's no one solution that fits all of these, these different variables that go into why you have membership issues. And, you know, we don't have a problem if it's something that is within our, our area of control, if there's something that we can do to affect uh, the situation. But if it's not, then don't hold us accountable for, for, for the shortcomings of, of how you're handling your situation. We're happy to advise. We're happy to give suggestions. Uh, it will be a facilitator between you and, and another jurisdiction. And if they have a program that works, we'll certainly, you know, help you know, transfer that knowledge, but we can't tell you how to solve your problems uh, or make you solve your problems. So that's one of it, it. You have to, you have to be a lot more subtle, I guess. Uh, and you can't be throwing your weight around uh, to make things happen. Well, it definitely sounds like you have to have the wisdom of Solomon to be in that position. Well, I'm, I fall short oftentimes, but uh, I do my best and, <laughs> You know, I, I rely on, on just that good Midwestern way of thinking where, you know, you, you be honest, you, you tell people straight up, tell them, tell them your truth, and people appreciate that. And uh, you, you can have your disagreements and you can try to convince one another uh, to your way of thinking. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, you let them know. It's like, hey, uh, if you don't follow my, my ideas, that's fine. It's not going to change the way I, I feel about you or or your your jurisdiction. And we're here to continue to help in any way we can. Monty, I'm curious yeah. to do two questions. One, is there cryptic councils in all 50 states? And then how many of the states belong to the general grand council? Now, now you're dealing with numbers, and I suck at numbers. Um, <laughs> so... The answer to how many states have uh, cryptic councils, that there there may be some some inaccuracies in this, but basically all all but two of the states have uh, councils established. And the two that do not are Virginia and West Virginia, and they basically have the the uh, council degrees rolled into the Royal Arch. Okay. So, so they just have their Royal Arch system that includes those those extra degrees. We recognize them. You know, they we can go to their meetings and all that kind of thing. Uh, but they just don't have separate councils. As far as uh, how many are members, I I do not know off the top of my head exactly how many, and and uh, and it's mostly because I I don't truly worry about it, but. Uh, I can tell you, Texas is a non-member. Ohio is a non-member. Pennsylvania is a non-member. Connecticut, South Carolina, I believe. Illinois. There's there's a handful. Some some have never been members of General Grant, and others have left for for various reasons. 
Well, I'm I'm curious, Monty. Uh, I'm not yet a cryptic mason. It's it's on the you know the the to do list. But you get involved in so much, and then podcasts and editing a blog and everything else on top of it. You know, time runs short. So I guess what would what's your elevator pitch to somebody who isn't yet a cryptic mason? But I'll just speak from my personal example. I'm fascinated by the whole idea of Enoch's vault, or you know what. It later becomes Solomon's vault, and I know that I know enough to know that many of these degrees take place within that vault or reference this vault. So, from uh, from that standpoint, why should I join cryptic masonry, or why or, or why not? <laughs> you can give that as well if you want. Have you have you gone into the Ukraine at all? Yeah, I'm I'm in the Royal Arch. I'm a Royal okay. Arch Mason. So okay, so you know in in the third degree, the word's lost. In the in the royal arch, it's found. But you don't know what happened in between, and you 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 don't you don't get to experience the uh, the story. And it's a beautiful story on how uh, how the the word was preserved and and uh, how uh, our our legend progressed from. The third degree to Royal Arch. Uh, to me, that is is the biggest reason outside of the fraternal side of things. Uh, being able to, you know, where as, as was kind of hinted at before, we're the fun guys. Yeah, I, I think that you know, I I love to watch ritual. I love to participate in ritual, and and the cryptic degrees are some of the most interesting uh, historically. I think, and the super excellent master degree is is kind of a different kind of animal there's actually a part of it that's open to the public and other parts that are not and it tells a a very different story that's not uh, really in line with the traditional pathway of of the york right it's it's very interesting and, and people that typically get involved with it and and actually engage in it uh, usually have a good time Sounds good. When uh, when was Cryptic Masonry founded? I mean, was it obviously? I would guess. I know the Royal Arch is back to late 1700s. Uh, I think in England, and then you know made its way over here early 1800s. When did Cryptic Masonry begin? Because I'm assuming it. I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that it's purely a kind of an American concept that the cryptic degrees. I don't think it was. I don't believe they were started in England and then migrated here, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, I will preface any of my comments on this uh, as that one, I am not a researcher. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Uh, And uh, Bill Snyder is is probably a good person to go to for for these types of questions if you want accuracy. What I do know is that the uh, cryptic degrees were kind of a uh, uh, loosely formed set of degrees that uh, really didn't have uh, any uh, structure around them when they first appeared. And they were brought in under the Scottish Rite initially. And the Scottish Rite had ownership of them, and they they uh, presented them as side degrees of the Scottish Rite. And eventually then they went over to uh, the Royal Arch, and the Royal Arch controlled them for a period of time. And then eventually uh, we broke off into separate councils. And then uh, our first council that was formed was Columbian Council Number 1 in uh 
came in, uh, New York. And uh, that's pretty much when it started. I do not, I want to say 1861, but that's probably going to be completely wrong. But uh, it was before I was born. So, <laughs> uh, I'm not so sure if Bill was born yet or not, but he might have been. Now, Bill, Bill, after that. Bill maybe sat Jesus, I think. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you've been reading that again. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. It was it was scrawled on the the bathroom wall at the the manger, so I just assumed it to be true. <laughs> like Bill was here. Yeah, it seemed like it. <laughs> Mommy, tell us about the CMMRL. I think I got those letters right. That sometimes run together to me. Yeah. Cryptic, you know, Mason, like, Cryptic Mason Medical Research Foundation. You know, every every Grand York right has their own. You know, it's either Ra Ra, the Royal Arts Research Association, or. The um, Templars have got their own, and just tell me about what the what the Cryptic Masons do when it comes to their charity and how, what they, which body part do they pick to fix, and you know basically where their money goes. What we do is we provide basically the seed money for these uh, young researchers that are looking into trying to find cures or treatments for any number of different uh, issues with the human body and uh, through the use of, of stem cells. And these are adult stem cells. They're not the ones that had the bad reputation years ago, uh, the embryonic stem cells. But, you know, they're looking at peripheral artery disease, diabetes, uh, congestive heart failure, type 1 and type 2 diabetes, kidney disease, cancer, all Pretty much anything that you can think of, they're they're looking for solutions through the use of these stem cells. And some of the things that they've done uh, are amazing. When uh, I first got involved with CMMRF, uh, they had uh, given a presentation where there was a gentleman who came in and he was uh, wheeled in on a wheelchair. He couldn't walk unassisted. He was in constant pain. Uh, he was essentially two weeks away from having both his legs amputated. And they brought him in uh, in an outpatient setting, and they liposuctioned fat from his body. Uh, they sent it through this, this machine that separated out the stem cells, and they ended up uh, injecting his both of his legs above and below the knee with several, several shots of, of his own stem cells along with, uh, I believe they gave him some intravenously. And six months later, he was able to walk a half mile down a pier unassisted. With little pain, he was sleeping through the night. And four years later, he still had both his legs. That's amazing. And and it was all out of his own body. They they have, the, the folks at IU have figured out a way to uh, take a stem cell from a person and reprogram it or basically erase it and turn it into the essentially an embryonic stem cell, one that hasn't been programmed to do anything. And and once they've done that, then they can program it to do a specific function to go in and treat whatever it is that they're they're trying to uh, impact. And that's just amazing. That's Star Trek stuff to me. 
So it's, it's, it's really amazing. And the work that they do will potentially impact every single person on this planet. So it's a little different from the Eye Foundation where, you know, it, it's focusing primarily on the eyes or the Shriners Hospitals, which are just wonderful organizations. I, I was on the board of directors of the hospital in Hawaii. And, you know, they focus on the children and uh, Rara works with uh, the youth and, and their uh, learning challenges and auditory issues. So, uh, Right Care, all of these charities are just wonderful charities, but, but you're right, they do focus on a specific thing, uh, a body part or an age group or whatever, but we, we take yeah. a cradle to grave and anything that comes up and, and it's pretty amazing. That is amazing. I mean, basically, I was being a little flippant. That was a Dwight Smith wrote that in um, when one of his um, things about how you know he says you know these grand bodies just pick a body part and you know try to hear you know, send money to it to show what good persons we are for membership. And I just I don't know, it just came into my mind, but <laughs> no, it but but it's 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 fairly accurate. I mean, you know, and and it, it doesn't demean any of those those charities because stuff falls apart so um we have to keep track of it and, and work on them but uh and and masonry just has i mean it's not just the the big three the shrine scottish right and york right i mean every masonic organization that's out there has some charity that they support and you know we give a lot of money to charity and and sometimes that's what makes it difficult is that we're all vying for the same money that's in the same pockets of all of our brothers and we're not all wealthy our goal this year is to raise five hundred thousand uh, dollars we had the same goal last year and we made about four hundred thousand uh, we're on track to uh hopefully reach five hundred thousand this year sitting just under four hundred uh, so if anybody uh, is interested in uh donating well we'd love to, to take your money at cmmrf.org yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes uh, for people where they can send a donation. This, yep. It is a worthy organization. That we have great people, and uh, we just, at the, the last triennial, we, we made a change to our uh, operating bylaws to have an international board member. And raising money outside the U.S. is very difficult. Uh, one, there's a perception that our charities are for Americans and not for the world. We've done our best to try to convince them that, that you know, that it's not the case. The other issue is you have laws in different countries about sending money outside of the country. So we, we've been kicking around a lot of ideas of ways that we can engage them in the process, uh, keep the money local. Uh, one of those ideas is that we're hoping to try to get off the ground is, is actually creating an uh, internship program where they can have uh, someone from their country that, that they sponsor to go to IU to be a, a uh, intern or a fellow uh, at the uh, School of Vascular uh, Regeneration. And then with the understanding that they have to go back to their country and work in that field for X number of years. And so now we're we're spreading the knowledge out around the world, and hopefully there, there's a network of different learning institutions that that uh, they work cooperatively on doing a lot of this research. So, and again, what we do is we we provide the seed money, the 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 stuff that is like I have an idea, prove that there's some potential in it, and that's what we fund. And and when there seems when it looks like it's going to be something that could be worthwhile to follow, then they go looking for the big money grants out of the um, 
the federal government, the, the military. Uh, military does a lot of uh, support for us uh, because of you know injuries from from war and stuff. So so we we help the ideas service to the top so that the cream can be uh, skimmed off and and furthered along. Yeah, and let me you know I I work at the university and and have worked with a a lot of researchers and I, I can't understate the importance of the value of what the the, the CMMRF does because those kind of funds are hardly available from anybody else. And I think to your point, a researcher will have an idea and he can use this, he or she can use these funds to develop that. They may be hiring a grad student or whatever it is, but they'll prove their theory has potential so that, like you say, when they then apply for the multi-million dollar NIH, DOD, NSF grants, they've got some proven track records there. So you just, you know, the, the amounts awarded aren't probably obviously near the, the federal grant size, but I just can't understate or overstate the value of what you're doing in this organization because those researchers, they're always out looking for dollars. And this is just a great way to help them either get their career going at their early career or, you know, to take that idea, you know, off the bench and, and try to prove it so then they can scale it up with the bigger research. So, it's it's what you're doing is just vitally important. And one of the uh, uh, recent breakthroughs that they've had is uh, aortic aneurysms. Uh, it's called a silent killer. Usually, by the time that you find out that you have an aortic aneurysm, so you end up on a slab and they uh, find out when you're having your autopsy. Uh, but a couple things they they figure out a way to uh, catch it earlier. They're They've been uh, looking at ways to identify the risk of, of uh, having an aortic aneurysm. But uh, they've also been uh, working to be able to shrink or stop the growing of an aortic aneurysm. And again, through the use of stem cells. And uh, they've, they've had a phase one trial where uh, they've shown one of the methodologies has, has been quite successful and promising. And I believe that that is now moving into a phase two trial, which is a, a bigger uh, set of uh, patients to run these trials on. Uh, they've also developed what they call a biopin. And my understanding of how this works is that uh, they can use this biopin to essentially lay down a, a an encasement of stem cells that wrap around the aorta and it keeps it from expanding so it's it, it kind of like puts um, tape around it for lack of a better term and uh, that's got a lot of promise too well i'm curious i mean gosh in your introduction you also spoke and said you had been the grandmaster of masons in hawaii and it's probably what one of our younger jurisdictions obviously it's one of our newer states but probably a uh one of our youngest, younger jurisdictions, and I'm just curious about Hawaiian Freemasonry compared to maybe other parts of the states of the world. What was it like there? Given its grand charter in 1980, so yes, we, we are quite a young jurisdiction, and I was grandmaster in 2011 and 12. We have 1,600 Masons-ish there from all walks of life from all over the world. And uh, because of that, you have just a really interesting group of people that come together. 
my particular lodge, Honolulu Lodge, was to me, it was like home. It was not unusual for me on lodge night to uh, I show up first one in the building, three o'clock or four o'clock in the afternoon, and I would be the last one to leave. And there were many times that I saw the sunrise from lodge. Because after the lodge was closed, we would go outside on the lanai and pull out some tables and sit down and fire up our cigars. And some would have a beer or a little scotch, and I would drink my Diet Coke. And we would sit there and, in Hawaii terms, talk story and solve the world's problems and realize later on that nobody took notes. It's, awesome. it's just a great group of guys. And you get really interesting visitors because Masons come from all over the world to visit and they want to attend lodge. Interesting. So how, how did you end up in Hawaii? What was your path to get there just in general? Uncle Sam. I was uh, uh, okay. I was a sailor uh, in the U.S. Navy and uh, I got stationed there on, on uh, Fort Island. Well, of course, we appreciate your service to our country and Freemasonry, but uh, that's such a, a, an amazing uh, journey of your own to leave, which I'm very familiar with, these cornfields of East Central Illinois to end up the Grandmaster of Hawaii. So. I made my money as a kid walking bean fields, getting the, uh, hey. getting the corn <laughs> out of the previous year's crop. So I was going to ask, Monty, did you graduate from Rantoul High School then? or No, I did not. I I. I went to Ludlow Elementary School, and I my uh, uh, freshman year was at Rantoul High, uh, but my dad was military. He was there. Uh, he was at Chanute, okay. And we got transferred to uh, Germany. Got That's where I finished my high school. But we lived in Illinois for 13 years. Just curious. My my fiancé was as a Rantoul High graduate, so not obviously different class, much different class, I would think, but I uh, was just curious. That's all. Yeah, I'm 60 years old in case anybody cares. So I, I graduated high school in 1980, yeah. 79. We're, we're doing this podcast, and the amazing thing to me about Freemasonry is the connections we make with people all over the world. And you've literally been all over the world, but yet here you are from, you know, basically Darren and I's home area. And I just, that's the. That's the awesome power of our fraternity is those shared values and shared connections. And yet here we meet you virtually in this case and, and get to share uh, all that similar background, uh, you know, not only in Illinois, but Freemasonry in general. That's to me, that's just the number, almost the number one value of the fraternity is the people in it. Yep. I, 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 I love, uh, I love the. Uh... I miss Illinois a lot. It's been a long time since I've been back, and uh, I was a Malay in Illinois. Uh, Great, in Champaign. Champaign. Oh, okay. So, wow. Oh, and wow. I still have lots of friends in the area that uh, I work at the university there, and yeah, uh, great place. Great, great. So, uh, I'm curious, what do you see? I mean, you know, future Freemasonry in general. I mean, not not so much in numbers, but where do you see the craft going, or especially since you've had the international, uh, you know, experience with it? Where, where do you, where, where are we headed? Uh, I, I, my hope is, is that with the the younger members coming in, uh, that seem to have uh, more interest in the esoteric nature of masonry uh, more than the fraternal aspects of it, uh, and it'll help us get back to really understanding uh, what it is at the base levels of, of being a Mason. And, and it's not about the 
the spaghetti dinners and the green beans and uh, that sort of stuff. I think that it's that it's important that we continue to learn about uh, where we came from and and how to uh, get back to these these really basic tenets of of what it is to be a Mason. So you know, I I hope that the future is bright. I think that uh, there will be many challenges ahead of us. Uh, you know, we've been going through a period of consolidation, I guess, for lack of a better term, for many years, uh, lodges uh, either closing down or merging with other lodges because just dwindling membership. Uh, but I don't see it as, you know, I don't I don't have any uh, feeling that this is going to be the death of Freemasonry. I, I do firmly believe that, you know, Freemasonry does survive throughout time and um, it will um uh, gain momentum again uh, i think that uh as troubles in the world in general uh continue to surface uh people are looking for something that makes helps them make sense of the world and oftentimes they come knocking on our door and while we don't have the answers and i and i believe it's very important that we tell them when they're they're seeking membership in the masonry that we don't have the answers to life the universe and everything uh but we do have a group of guys that have experienced a lot of life and have a collective knowledge that is uh, tremendous and are willing to share that and to support one another. And um, I think that if we stay true to that, then nothing can stop us. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, well, first of all, I'd, I'd remark that Douglas Adams uh, would answer the question of life, <laughs> the meaning of the universe, everything is being 42. 42. Yep. But uh, secondly, kind of stole my thunder, Greg. I was going to ask how he got uh, to Hawaii. Uh, let me let me ask this. What was your what's your best memory of being Grandmaster of Hawaii? Other than the day I got out. Oh, um, uh, yeah. Other than the day <laughs> other than the day you got out. It's hard to say, but, you know, I think really it was actually my installation. Uh, and the reason was because it was the first time uh, that I got to be in lodge with my father, uh, who was a Mason. And he had, uh, he was really starting to show the signs of the Alzheimer's that he had that ultimately uh, uh, killed him. And that that just, you know, it meant the world to me to be able to sit and lodge with my dad. And uh, it, it just, yeah, I, I think that that's the biggest thing. Beyond that, uh, in my term as Grandmaster, we brought in more members than we lost, and that was something that was unusual. We were one of, I think, two grand jurisdictions uh, in that year that actually had positive increases in membership. That's that's fair. That's a pretty awesome memory you have uh, of you and your dad, so that's that's really cool. You know, I was just sitting here thinking, there's one question we didn't ask you. And it's what, usually the first thing that we ask every guest that we have is, what made you become a Mason in the first place? Was it being a Demolay um, child, a boy, or because your dad was a Mason, or a combination of both? Or what made you decide to ask for a petition? Well, it's a little bit of all of that in that, you know, I kind of growing up, I knew my dad was different. 
Uh, I remember the, the old Masonic Bible that sat on our uh, coffee, not coffee table, but one of those big tables that goes between your couch and your love seat. And, you know, I had the square and compass there, and, and I loved looking at the pictures in the Bible and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, I knew that I wanted to emulate my dad because he, he just seemed different from everybody else. Uh, so I always knew I was going to be, but I never really, other than, you know, after we went to Germany, I, I became inactive with the Malay and then I was in the military. And so it never really presented itself. It just kind of went back to the back of my brain and sat there and I got married and had a son and ended up, unfortunately, getting divorced. But when I got divorced, I'm by myself and it's like, I need to find something to do or I'm going to get in trouble. So it's like, well, I guess I have time for masonry now. So I went and uh, went to the lodge and met uh, just a, a tremendous man, uh, my mentor, David Kohei Laulihi, and uh, said I'd like to be a mason. And it was just, it's been, it, it has literally been a nonstop ride since then. Uh, I, I have never been without an officer position from the day I was raised. Uh, sounds like the first 10 years of my how old were you when you went into the lodge uh, I don't remember the, how old I was and doing the math might be challenging <laughs> but uh, I was raised in March of 2002 oh okay so wow you've done a lot just the last 20 years so I'm curious what's next on your Masonic journey now that you wrap up the, the cryptic council role you sure you know how it is. You don't get off the hook that easy. What's what's uh, what's next? I'm running for curmudgeon. <laughs> you may you may have competition with Bill there, so I'm just going to let you know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, he'll well, be I'll let him have it first. More years, uh, yeah. but uh, oh. the uh, I, I've been appointed, or I'm I'm currently serving in the line of the uh, international line for the Red Cross of Constantine, Marcus Ostrander, who's uh, the head. Uh, uh, graciously appointed me as his grand marshal, and I'm in a St. Thomas of Acorn line in Trinity uh, Chapel, which is kind of the holding uh, chapel for uh, Masonic Week. So those are the only two like officer lines that I'm in. I have uh, I'm happy to help anywhere I, I can. Uh, one thing that has suffered uh, for me in terms of my Masonic life since taking over this job is I, I don't have the time to, to go to, to the Blue Lodge and, and even the council. Uh, I've been here in uh, Georgia for three and a half years, and I've only attended Blue Lodge a handful of times. And I think I've been to a York Rite event that, that was not a uh, visitation official type of thing. I've only been to one one event uh, for York Rite. So, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to getting back involved in that, and I I want to get back involved in Scottish Rite and the Shrine, and you know all of the different organizations that I'm a member of that you know I've had to put on the back burner because I've been so busy doing all of these other things. So, and I don't need to have a position. I you know uh, uh, there's I I don't I don't need any more titles or any more things to figure out where I'm going to hang or hide or put someplace uh i just want to be a brother and 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 truly you know that is the one thing uh, i've never been that guy sitting on the side uh you know the 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 column guy and um i 
kind of want to give that a try and see what it's like. Uh, Cause I like what ritual and I will always be happy to help and fill in and do whatever people want. If people want my help, I am happy to help, uh, but I don't need to, to, you know, go up lines. If, if they want me and need me, I'm happy to, but it's, it's not something that I would chase. Yeah. Well, the ritual for that position is, is we never did it that way in my year. Can you start <laughs> yeah. learning that one? Yeah. <laughs> No, I've I've told uh, Bill Schneider that uh, once on on August thirteenth, I believe, in the evening, uh, he will uh, not hear from me unless he reaches out to me and wants to ask my opinion on something or ask for help. Uh, I will hand him the gavel and I will I wish him the best and and uh, I will not be in his hair uh, telling him <laughs> that I would do it differently. Well, anything else you want to? cover with us while we've got you on here no this has been you hope hope we brought up no this has been great you know it's first one of these i've done and uh i'm much more comfortable talking this way than i am on on uh video uh yeah i've watched i think i've watched some of those videos i get i get the email email update from the council so yeah i enjoy the fireside chats but uh, you know, I'm not I, I'm not what I would call a, a great communicator. I just I like to just sit down and have a conversation. Yeah, and, uh, uh, that's usually where I sign. So that's great. Uh, Darren, any any last questions or anything you want to ask? No, I just want to thank Monty for his time coming on here, especially after, uh, you know, getting off a jet from Germany yesterday. Uh sure your time's been all flipped around so i just appreciate your time and getting to know you virtually and uh just uh like like greg said it's uh i think it's um i think we're communicating so well is because you know you're (laughs) you were born and raised around here in central illinois so it's just kind of still blowing my mind that uh as greg said you uh from the cornfield to ludlow have made your way to hawaii to be grandmaster there and then you know now your current role with the Crypto Council. So just uh, just once again, thank you, Monty, for coming on here. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. It's been my honor. If there's anything I can do for any of you guys, don't hesitate. Come see me in Atlanta. I got lots of room. Yeah, we'd love to, or <laughs> vice versa. If you're ever... If you ever come back to Illinois or Champaign, uh, we'd love to sit and lodge with you. And you know what? Yeah. You can be that guy that just sits on the on the sideline till till we don't make a quorum, and then we'll stick you in a chair. There you go. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Yeah, you know how it goes. So, well, thank you again, uh, Monty, for for joining. It's been a, a whole lot of fun, and uh, it's great to learn more about the the Cryptic Council. And uh, so, let me say thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, we really appreciate your uh, leadership, uh, your listenership, and uh, you can find us on Patreon if you want to support us. We don't plug that enough, but if you go to our Meet Act and Part homepage, there's a link on there that. Of course, Bill does a great job of keeping us on the social media and on the web. So uh, anyway, so there's that. So we hope everybody has a, a great time and a great day. And please join us again soon for another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part. Thank you for listening to Meet, Act, and Part. For more information about our show, visit our website at www.meetactandpart.com. While there, please consider supporting the show by sponsoring us on Patreon. Until we meet again, may we meet Act and Park.